What's happening guys? Will from RevolutionaryLifestyleDesign.com Coming to you today to talk about how to make better decisions by thinking like an investor. Okay? And when we're talking about your decisions, I want to tell you something. We're not talking about minor decisions, we're talking about major decisions. And every major decision that you make in your prime, which is 18 to 30, is gonna have a major impact on the rest of your life, either positive or negative. And that's why it's so important to make the right decision. Because the wrong decision costs you with compound interest for the next five, 10, maybe the rest of your life. You know, if you're driving like a maniac on your motorcycle and you fuck up your shoulder, that nagging injury is going to be with you for the rest of your life. And that's not even one of the major decisions. You know, if you have children too early before you can afford them, it's going to be very, very uh, difficult on you as compared to if you have children when you're 36, 37, 38, you've made your money, you know what kind of woman you want to raise children with. It's a completely different ballgame. And... The idea behind this article and video is to take the knowledge that I learned um, as a pro trader in my early 20s and, you know, from study, I went from the trading floor to the library to the internet and then I would, I would read biographies on market wizards and Warren Buffett and soak up as much um, information as I possibly could on trading and investing. Now, when my niche in trading dried up, that was it for me as a trader. And I chose not to invest in the market because I, underst I understand the market. You're looking at about an 8% return a year and your money goes a lot farther when you in invest in your own business where you can get a thousand percent return a year like I have with um, blogging. With that said, the skills that I learned uh, from all that study and from trading were massive in terms of applying that particular logic to my personal life. So what I want to give you today is the criteria for um, applying investment logic to your decisions across your health, wealth, relationships, and lifestyle. Those are the four major categories that account for the vast majority of, of your personal happiness. And that's all we talk about here at all RLD is just making you as happy as possible. And when it comes to big decisions, you really have to put in a big amount of effort to make sure that you're making the right decision. So without further ado, I want to give you the five major criteria for making a big, big decision um, using investment terminology. So number one is risk. Number two is probability. Number three is capability. Number four is opportunity cost. And number five is ROI or return on your investment. So let's start with risk, okay? Before you make any major decision, and I define any major decision as something that is gonna take up a lot of your financial resources, time, and emotional resources. Talking about having, getting married, starting a business, having children, um, 
you know, buying a house is a major decision. Even buying a car uh, can be a major decision depending on how much money you have. So what you need to do is, the first thing you need to do is determine your risk profile, okay? And the five um, metrics you need to look at in terms of your risk profile are cost of failure in regards to your health, time, uh, wealth, and emotions. Speed of failure, how long it will take you to recognize that you made the wrong decision. Okay, you wanna fail as fast as possible with anything. Recovery time, how long it will take you to get your health, wealth, uh, and finances back in check. And risk to reward. So whether the reward strongly outweighs the risk of that particular decision. And finally, risk management. Is there any way to mitigate or lower the risk on this particular decision? So don't think that you're gonna be able to find the perfect decision. Um, you won't, there's always gonna be risk in anything you do. You just wanna make sure that the risk is, um, the risk makes sense for what you're gonna be getting out of it. And, and if you can handle the fucking hit, even if the reward is huge, if you can't take the hit and it's gonna put you into bankruptcy, then you know, that's not a decision that, that you can probably make. So let's take uh, bodybuilding, for example, okay? Because we're applying this stuff to your, your health, wealth, relationships, and lifestyle. So let's say you want to build your lean genetic potential. You want to max that out. It's going to take you about three to five years. And depending on how good your genetics are, you're looking at about 35 to 50 pounds of lean muscle. 50 pounds being exceptionally good genetics more likely it's going to be 35 to 43, 45 pounds of muscle. And you're going to need to lift smart. You're going to need a dedicated um, training plan. You're going to need to eat enough uh, and you're going to need to get good sleep. And, um, you know, you're really going to have to push yourself in the gym. You have to give 110% on every set trying to break your personal best. Okay. So, Here's how your risk profile looks on maxing out your lean genetic potential. And this is a big decision because, you know, it's going to take up a lot of your time. Working out is a lifestyle and there, there's no other way. It takes up, it's not going to take a ton of your finances, but it's going to take a ton of energy and time. And it's a big commitment. A lot of people think, you know, it's not and you can just get in shape and you're going to go hard for six months. It's not like that. It's a lifetime commitment. So, cost of failure, negligible, unless you are lifting like an idiot. If you want to see a lifting plan, check out the body category on my site, revolutionarylifestyledesign.com. That'll give you a really safe, controlled lifting plan. Um, I haven't been injured, God willing, in maybe seven or eight years once I switched over to that. So your health risk is very small, cost of failure small. Speed of failure short, one to six months, uh, because that's when most guys quit. Guys that are, guys that make it past the six month mark are probably gonna stay in the gym and, and, and keep at it as a lifestyle. Recovery time, negligible, okay. Risk to reward, very good. Reward is you get a great body. The risk is you get a small injury if you are not lifting correctly. And risk management, the way you manage your risk is you lift with perfect form. You are perfectly in control of every movement. You don't lift too frequently, um, two times a week, three at the most, 
and you le- you lift in brief periods, no more than 35, 40 minutes at the gym. But when you're there, you go high intensity and that's going to keep you from getting injured. So your risk profile on maxing out your natural genetic potential is very good. Now, let's compare that to your risk profile for becoming a competitive bodybuilder. Let's say you are, you know, you're interested in bodybuilding and you're weighing all your options of of how you want to pursue things. And, you know, being a competitive bodybuilder is on your personal landscape. So let's weigh the risk profile on that. You're looking at, to compete at the level these days, you're looking at like 120 pounds of muscle to be an elite level competitor, which is a massive amount of muscle. And to get that, you're gonna need the next decade of insanely dedicated eating, training, seven days a week. Um, You're gonna need exceptional genetics, and you're gonna need to spend about 30, 40 grand a year on test, insulin, HGH, Dianabol, DECA. Um, Some of these guys are taking inhalers, like God knows what. I don't even know probably half the stuff they're taking. IGF-1. you know, it's going to cost you a fortune and you need to take a massive amount of, of you know, potentially very dangerous drugs. Um, specifically, something like insulin is incredibly dangerous. And that's something that, that's just one of the things that all the top level guys are on. And uh, your food bill is going to be through the roof. And your risk profile is going to look like this. Uh, cost of failure is massive. Speed of failure is long. You're not going to fail fast. You're not going to realize you're not going to be the next Ronnie Coleman until 10 years in. You know, uh, it takes a long time uh, to get to where you want to go. Recovery time is long, if any. You could die from that amount, from the amount of drugs that these guys are taking. Bodybuilders are, are dying all the time from the stuff they're on. Risk to reward, terrible. Um, winning the Olympia is extremely unlikely competing competing at a very high level is extremely unlikely and even if you can get there very few of those guys make a lot of money off bodybuilding the vast majority of them have to work um, other jobs so and the risk is huge risk management it is not possible because you have to take way too many drugs and you have to be in the gym seven days a week and uh, you can't manage your risks it's, it's it's not possible So you can see that your risk profile for becoming an elite level bodybuilder is horrendous. That's not a decision that I could advise anybody to make. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a hater. I have a ton of respect for guys who are willing to dedicate themselves to anything. And those guys are incredibly tough and work incredibly hard and more power to them. But as a guy who specializes in lifestyle design and trying to make your life as happy as possible, I can't advise it. Worked out for some guys, um, you know, the real elite, like Jay Cutler, who's made been able to make a lot of money off his physique, and he's been able to handle the drugs and stay healthy, but you gotta look at the, the next 30 years of that guy's life to see if, if you know, any of that stuff um, comes back against him, which I hope it doesn't, but, you know, that's that's a very rare exception to the rule. So, That's an idea of how to determine your risk profile. Number two, probability. Probability in its easiest form means what are my odds of success? 
okay? Every decision, you gotta think about your odds. You're not Superman. You gotta, you gotta look at everything from the realistic point of view. And success in anything always means beating the odds. The things that you want are never gonna be easy because if they were easy, everyone would have them. Everyone would have a lot of girls and a lot of money and all the things that we want and that we're competing for are not easy. So you're always beating the odds at, you're always trying to beat the odds. And the, the bigger the goal, the more outlandish the goal, the, the greater the odds are gonna be. So let's take a look at business, starting a business, okay? Average failure rate for a business is 90%. That means you got a one in 10 shot of success. We're just talking about um, law of large numbers right now. We're not factoring in capability. Uh, we'll do that in the next section. But uh, what I want to dial into, and this is, you know, you got to dial into everything on your decisions, is let's break it down based on type of business, okay? The type of business with the highest failure rate next to starting an airline is uh, owning a restaurant. I would put the failure rate at owning a restaurant instead of 90% at 99%. So you'd have to be better than 99 other guys, 99 of your competitors. You've got one, one, one in 100 chance of making it happen. Um, and you can see just from the type of industry that you've, yeah, you know, it's 10 times more difficult to succeed now in, in owning a restaurant because you've got overhead and you've got employees and you've got a huge investment cost and, you know, you need to have the right location and people are very finicky about where they go. And if you don't knock it out of the park within the first six months, it's going to be tough to get people in the door. And all kinds of things, um, you know, that that is a big crapshoot is is owning a restaurant. So your odds of success go way down in that particular business. And, you know, it doesn't mean that even if you are successful, it doesn't mean that you'd be making more money in that particular business than you would in another business. So let's take another business where your odds of success are much better. And you guys hear me talk a lot about starting a service business. A service business means selling real estate or insurance or programming or web design. Outside of myself, um, who, you know, I've got a product-based business. I sell, you know, my eBooks and I've got affiliate stuff on there. Every guy I know who has a successful business is running a service business. I have not met anyone who's, who's making like, you know, six figures doing a product business. And I live in what is supposedly the digital nomad capital of the world, Chiang Mai, and all the guys I know who are making money out here, the exception of me are running a service business, and three of them are making six figures. One guy's, two of them are doing life coaching, one guy uh, sells fitness marketing services. You got low overhead to, no, to almost no overhead, very low investment cost, you don't have to worry about employees, and you can scale up very quickly. You can put a grand or two on top of your monthly revenue um, every month if you go hard. I saw my buddy go from nothing to six figures within just over a year from, uh, you know, he's a good salesman and, and from grinding hard. So with a service business, I would put the odds at half of what the failure rate would be on on the average business, I would say it would probably be about one in five. You got a one in five chance of success. And it's it's my belief that the four to five guys who fail in that business, 
It's not because they weren't smart enough. It's not because they picked the wrong location because it's not location-based. It's because they just weren't willing to grind hard. They weren't willing to do eight to 10 hours a day of pounding the phone and, and, and hammering out the emails and getting the marketing out there and closing clients. Um, they just weren't willing to do that because it is really hard. Sales is really hard. Success in business is really hard. And, and I think that your odds of success would be about one out of five. The four out of five guys who don't make it were because they're, they're not willing to do the work, that's my opinion. But as far as decisions go, that sort of gives you an idea how to break things down, okay? And those numbers, of course, are extremely crude. It's very difficult to get. It's not a poker game. You can't get your exact odds. But you got to do your your best to make um, the best calculations you can, and you got to get a hold of of every kind of data point that's available. You know, business failure rates are are right there online. They're easy to find. And the more information you have, the more data you have, um, the better positioned you are to make. Uh, any kind of informed decision. Number three, capability. Okay, so probability gives you the raw data, the the more objective data based on large numbers. Capability is the more subjective metric based on um, your own instincts of of what you're good at. And basically, one thing that you guys have to understand. You really have to understand that is is in mainstream personal development, you hear a lot about limited beliefs and you got to get rid of your limited beliefs and limited beliefs aren't good. And that's true if the best that you think you can do is a janitor or you think you're never going to get a girlfriend or you think that life is shit and it can never get good, then you need to remove those limited beliefs. With that said, if you're already a positive, motivated guy, you need to have limited beliefs. Limited beliefs are there for a fucking reason. If you didn't have limited beliefs and you thought you could fly, you would end up as a stain on the fucking sidewalk, okay? You are not going to play in the NBA unless you're 16 and you're six foot seven and you are crushing it and you're one of the best high school players in America and you're not going to play in the NBA. And chances are, guys, you're not going to be a billionaire. you got to have that Mark Zuckerberg IQ and connections and, and this, that, and the other. you got to aim in the ballpark of reality, okay? Now, I want you to aim at the high end of your reality. What's, you know, stretch yourself. What's the best that's possible for me? But the key is that it has to be possible. It has to be within the realm of possibility. And... I'm talking from experience here, guys. I'm, I'm, I really am. And unlimited beliefs cost me a ton of time and money. I used to think that I was Superman and I could do anything and that um, I didn't have to think things through that clear. I would just power through and I would just make it happen. And it's going to be great, you know. And life taught me otherwise. Life is the best teacher. It wasn't until I evolved from a deluded optimist to a pragmatic optimist that I got my life together and I started hitting all my goals and I started becoming success more successful in all areas because I was aiming for what was within my capabilities. I aimed for the high end of my capabilities and and sometimes I've smashed through my expectations, but the key is I'm I'm aiming within my capabilities and I'm catering to my strengths 
and I'm removing things where I'm, I'm weakened. Uh, so, and that's, that's incredibly important, you know, to maximize your chances of, of beating the odds in this game we call life. You want to cater to your strengths and you want to pursue things where you have an unfair competitive advantage. If you're going to devote yourself to something like starting a business, you need to be in a business where you have an unfair advantage, where you have a natural talent, where you're naturally better than, than other people, where you have naturally higher capabilities. Otherwise, you're, you're going into it with one hand tied behind your back, okay? It's like programming. They, I couldn't program a microwave. I couldn't make six figures in pro, I couldn't make $600 in programming, let alone six figures. There is a reason this is not a programming blog, because I don't have any natural skill in that particular area. I chose an area where I, I felt that I had a really big advantage. And the key questions to determine whether um, you have the capability to achieve what you want are, do, you, do I have an unfair uh, advantage? Do I have the dedication and skills to be top 1%? Or if you're going even harder, do I have the dedication and skills to be top 0.1%? Uh, okay. So let's go back to a service business. Let's say that you know how to sell or are willing to learn and you have the tenacity to make it happen and you've got uh, your options narrowed down to real estate, insurance, programming, web design, or personal training. A lot of guys ask me what they should be doing and the first thing that I should say is what are you the best at already? What skill set do you already have and what are you most passionate about? Because the more passionate you are, the more dedicated you're going to be. Okay, Skill set and dedication, that's what capabilities come down to. From those five, for me, it would be personal training. That would be where I would go. Uh, but you need to look at what you're best at. If you're like a real sharp math guy and you're young, you can learn programming quick and, and make a lot of money in that particular area. Or if you're a real talented artist and you want to go into uh, web design. All depends on your particular skill set. And if you already have a natural uh, marketable skill, then you definitely want to go into that area. So that's skill set, um, but dedication is a different animal. You also have to be realistic about how dedicated you are and how dedicated you can be um, when you push yourself. How much drive and energy do you have? You know, you need to be honest with yourself. If you want to be the next Elon Musk, you know, the guy who founded PayPal and now he's building cars and rocket ships and God knows what. You need to spend that the rest of your adult life working 16 hour days. That guy works nonstop. All he does, he lives to work and he loves it and he has incredible energy and he's, and he's a machine. I wouldn't be able to do that. Even if I had his IQ, which I don't, or his business acumen, which I don't. That guy is in another fucking stratosphere. And instead of trying to pretend like I have the dedication to do something like that, I just tip my hat to that guy and move on with, with what I'm capable of, which is doing this. You know, I give him his respect and that's it. Uh, in my opinion, I'm a top 1% worker, probably a 0.1% worker, but guys like that are like 0.001% in terms of dedication. And that's, that's outside of my, my realm of reality. I wouldn't want to work that much. Um, and 
you got to be realistic with yourself of what you're capable of. Are you capable of doing eight to 10 hours, seven days a week? Most guys aren't. Even that is, is, is hard to do. Um, and you really got to be honest with yourself or you got to, you know, you got to say, okay, I'm going to have to step it up and work a bit harder. But either way, you got to understand your skill set and your dedication and factor that into your capabilities and factor capabilities into your big decisions. Number four, opportunity cost. Okay. Simplest form of opportunity cost means the cost of not doing not of not doing something else. Okay. Everything you do every second of the day has an opportunity cost. Now, you don't want to live your whole life worrying about if watching this movie, what opportunities it's costing you. What you do have to worry about is the major decisions, the ones that take up the most of your time and what they're going to cost you. So let's look at, look at something like getting a girlfriend versus the player lifestyle. Okay. Getting a girlfriend is not a, as big a decision as getting married, but it is a big fucking decision. Okay. Because that could be the next one, three, five, ten years of your life. Um, you know, seeing her three or four nights a week, that could potentially move to marriage and children. Um, it could also end in, in heartbreak. I've got uh, a reader of mine, a close friend who's been living six months in hell after he broke up with his girlfriend. And that is very common. You know, it is, it is, it is um, you know, have some, having someone that you love is a beautiful thing. And, and, but there are big risks to that. Okay. Do not think that getting involved with someone on a serious level is not a big decision. It is. So let's compare that to um, living the player lifestyle, which also takes up a lot of your time. What does monogamy cost you? It costs you sex with other women, thrill of the, thrill of the chase, a good chunk of your personal freedom. You know, you're looking at about three to four nights a week and you're gonna spend a lot more money, even if she's paying her way, um, because you know, all those dinners and movies and all that stuff. And trust me, if you, if you think that you're not gonna be spending more money, you will be. That's just how it goes. And finally, monogamy costs you the, if you're, if you're not experienced with women already, like you're a younger guy, monogamy costs you the ability to get good with girls, at least for the time period that you're in that monogamous relationship. So let's look at what the player lifestyle costs you. And the player lifestyle costs you, in my opinion, the big thing it costs you is the ability to bond with women on a deep level. Okay. And I'm not talking about casual sex, you can have, um, you know, non monogamous relationships with girls where you've seen them once or twice a week, and you guys hang out in, in bed all day and have sex and watch movies. And it's really nice. I've, I spent a large, large part of my 20s doing that. But you never quite bond on the same level as you do with a monogamous relationship, because either consciously or subconsciously, you're holding yourself back. Um, you know, if you guys follow my rules, you're only seeing her like once or twice a week because you have to hold yourself back a little bit in those types of relationships. Um, you know, it, you're never going to give that girl a hundred percent knowing that she's probably fucking some other guy that, you know, you, you can only really give yourself her a hundred percent and really like bond on that deepest level when you know that you have that trust and that togetherness by just the two of you. Um, so that is a major opportunity cost of, of having that deeper level of trust and love, um, that, that 
you don't get from the player lifestyle that you do get from a monogamous girlfriend. Okay. And now we're not, we're not doing a pros and cons. The pros and cons of monogamy versus girlfriend is, is a completely different video in itself, which is coming. Um, but that's the opportunity cost. So either way, whatever your decision is, it's important for you to analyze the opportunity cost of everything you're doing. ROI, return on your investment. This is the fifth and final category, and we're gonna look at return on your investment, for those of you guys who don't know, is what kind of a return you get on, um, usually it's how much money you get back out of the money you invested. But the way we're looking at it in your personal life is uh, you're investing your time, money, possibly energy, and your return is going to be your personal happiness because that's what we do everything for. Okay. So when you're looking at that big decision, every big decision, I need to be thinking, how much happier is this going to make me? Is this going to make me 10%, 20% happier every day? If I don't think it has the possibility to do that, then my investment costs are not going to be worth that big decision. So I want to look at having children. Okay, having children is a huge decision. Now, I know it sounds a bit ruthless to think about having children as through the lens of return on your investment. Okay, but all we're talking about is your happiness. And no one has children for society or for the community or altruistically. Everyone acts in their own self-interest at all times, despite the fucking bullshit that comes out of their mouth. And everyone has children because they want them and they think it's going to make them happy. Children do not ask to be born. They are born by people who want them and people want them because they think that children are going to add value and happiness to their lives. So don't think it's evil to look through the lens of, you know, logic at these decisions. To me, it's much more evil to just get someone pregnant and not think about it logically and have, you know, a good chance of those kids coming into the world, um, you know, financially unprepared and, and, and in a difficult situation. So that's very important to understand on a moral level. And, and you got to look at what is, okay. So the, first of all, the financial cost, you're looking at about $500,000 in North America, raising two ch children to the year, the ages of 18, probably more if you're going to be paying for their universities, especially if they're going to, to like a good university like Harvard, where you're looking at like 40 or 50 grand a fucking year. So, you know, your, your financial costs are huge. And then you're looking at about 40 hours a week of hands-on parenting time, which is a full work week on top of your job or business. And if you are working a job and starting a side business as well and having kids on top of that your workload is going to be fucking out of control insane just another reason why I, I encourage most guys to have kids later in life when they got their finances uh, or finances taken care of so the way that I look at that decision at least right now is for something that's that massive I think having kids is probably the biggest decision that you can make um, I need to know that I'd, I'd be like 20% happier every day. I'd be willing to give the first years up because I know that you're not going to be sleeping. And it's going to be a lot of stress, but I'd, I'd have to know that raising those kids for the majority of the time, um, and 
you know, throughout my life is going to make me 20% happier a day. Whether it does, it's hard to say um, because everyone tells you how much they love their kids, but no one ever says I regret having kids because so you get a very one-sided uh, description of that decision. The only guy who's ever said that having kids makes him less happy is Black Dragon from blackdragonblog.com. He loves his kids more than anyone than anything else in the world, but he said that living and having kids made him much less happy than he is now after they've moved out of the house and after he's single and has a lot of women in his life. And he also said the same thing about marriage. So that's something you have to take into account. There's very, there's very few, um, it's, it's difficult to calculate that particular decision because there's very few people who are gonna tell you the, the negative side of it. Um, but for me, the decision is still up for debate. If I was gonna follow through, I'd have to go through the whole risk profile and optimize it and make sure that, you know, I had the cash flow and the big house and, you know, the nanny to help out my wife with the kids because that is a serious fucking decision. So on a personal level, I'm not undecided. You might have a, a, a totally different opinion, which is absolutely cool. But the point is you have to use ROI on that decision and on every other decision, um, every other major decision to make sure that you make the right decision for you. So finally, conclusions. Let me get serious with you and give you some, some fucking grown man talk right now. Okay, guys, I'm 34. I know that the majority of you guys are 18 to 30. Maybe, you know, there's a decent amount of you in your mid-30s like me. I want to tell you this, okay? I want to tell you this as if I'm talking to my younger self. Life is not a trial run. There are no restart buttons. There are no cheat codes. You don't get a second chance. Life is immoral. It doesn't care if you don't know the rules. It doesn't care if you came from a tough childhood. It will... It punishes people regardless. It doesn't matter who they are, rich, poor. If you break the rules, you get punished, okay? Life will burn the baby's hand on the oven stove just the same way the baby who doesn't know better, just the same way as it will burn the college professor who does know better because that is how it goes. So not knowing the rules, um, making the wrong decision because you didn't know those are not excuses, okay? That, that's not gonna help you. It's not gonna get you out of a bad decision. That's why every major decision, you have to do as much work as possible. You have to analyze that as much as possible before you, you pull the trigger on it because those big decisions, man, you can't take back. You can't take back having kids when you didn't have enough money for them, man. You can't take that back as for life, you know? You can't take back... Um, a big injury to your health you know you're gonna be carrying that around you know the, so many things like that you know, that's why you need to put serious thought into every decision or suffer the consequences that's the bad news okay the good news is if you are a young hungry sharp motherfucker you make the right decision when you do your homework and make the right decision then that is going to come back to you with compound interest as well. Every decision, negative or positive, every big one is gonna reverberate with compound interest for the rest of your life, okay? 
when you make the right decision, you get to reap the rewards. When you start a service business at 20, you can have clients that you brought on at 20 paying you money at my age, at 34, you could have had those clients for 14 years giving you money every month because of that one right decision. You know, you could be making $250,000, $300,000 by the time you're my age. You could have never had to work a corporate job. You could have greatly increased your second sexual market value by being wealthy and being able to afford good clothes. Um, you could be living in, you know, a condo that you bought in cash. You could have so many massive good things in your life from that one good decision. And that goes with every good decision. So what I'm trying to tell you is that every major decision is magnified throughout the rest of your life, whether it's good or bad. That's why you need to do everything you can to make sure that those major, major decisions are good decisions, okay? And the more good decisions you make, the more happier you be, you're, you're going to be and the less you're going to suffer. And that's all I wish for you. Okay, that's all this site is about is just trying to make you as happy as possible. And that's what all the work is for. That's what all the articles and videos are for. And that's what all these criteria are for. Okay, don't don't get caught up in like the intellectual aspects of all this and, and you know, trying to live life like some type of a rigid robot. That's why that's not why I'm giving you this criteria. Okay, I'm not I'm not telling you to apply this to every single decision. I'm I'm telling you to apply this to the big ones so that you can get the big reward, which is being as happy as possible in your life. So follow the game plan, do your homework and do your best to make as many right decisions as possible. And as always, I want to thank you for watching this video on YouTube, listening to the audio on SoundCloud or iTunes, and reading my articles over at revolutionarylifestyledesign.com. And as always, I wish you all the best in your personal development journey.